you. Good morning. Our scripture passage is Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, good morning. We haven't met. My name is Matt Shetler. I'm the pastor here. Um, it's good to be with you guys. This is, last week I got to do a conversation with Britain, which was fun. Uh, and so this week, back in the saddle after Tom, I heard you did a great job preaching a few weeks ago on prayer. And so if you missed that, it's on the podcast as well, too. So, but today we are wrapping up our series, Why Do We Do That? Why do we do that? We've been in a series talking about why do we do the things that we do on Sunday mornings when we gather. Uh, and we've been talking about preaching and singing. We've talked about communion. We've talked about baptism. We've talked about giving. Uh, we've talked about all different types of things. But today we're going to wrap up talking about why do we gather. Maybe we should have started with that one, right? Why are we here at all? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Because I don't know about you, but during... Um, well, obviously, COVID is still a real thing. It's still very happening. But when everything was shut down and we moved everything online, uh, and so our services were online, so music was online, teaching was online, announcements were online, our small groups were online, all these things happened online. And one of the questions I heard a lot was, well, why do we even meet anyways? Right? Like, if we can just do it all online, if it's the exact same thing, if it was that easy to move stuff to virtual or digital, then why even come back in person? Why do we even have buildings? Some people are like, well, we shouldn't have buildings. We can save money, let's not have buildings, keep it online. But why do we gather? And it wasn't just the church, it wasn't just churches who asked the question, but maybe your workplace, maybe you're still working remotely. Maybe you still work from a distance. And, um, and I know some companies, uh, they were planning on bringing people back, but now they're saying we could save money, we're not renewing our leases, uh, we're saving money as a corporation. Asking the question of why do we even come together in person? But on the other side is there's other companies who said, actually, we've lost something. Technically, you can do your job. Technically, you can do some aspects virtually or online or digitally or through Slack or through uh, project management software, but there's something missing. There's the in-between parts that are missing. And then there's, of course, jobs that you literally can't do uh, virtually, right? Things where you work with your hands, where you're building, where you're assembling, where you're repairing, uh, where you're doing a more physical labor type things, you literally can't do them virtually because it really depends on the type of task that you're at, the type of company you work for, the type of organization that you're doing things with if it's important to gather together. Because the reality is, is that 
as a church, we can, you can't listen to music anywhere, right? So, you know, we could record Britain, you could just listen to wherever, um, you know, Britain and Caitlin and the rest of the band, or you could listen to a teaching anywhere, but what kind of place is the church? What kind of gathering is this that we might say we maybe can't replace by just doing it online only? That's not critiquing if it's for safety issues, of course. But what is it unique about the church when it gathers that keeps it as something that's important? And part of it, what's interesting as I was kind of looking at this idea of church attendance and gathering is that, um, have you guys heard about, uh, you know, when they do religious studies, they talk about people who are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, we talked about it before, but people who kind of say, I don't affiliate with any religion, any denomination, I just don't really have a spiritual affiliation, right? And so the thought is that those people aren't interested in faith at all. When they did other studies, what they found is that 10% of people who would say, I don't have any religious or spiritual affiliation, they still attend church every week. One out of 10 people. Four, I think 35% of people say I have no religious affiliation, at least attend a um, few times a year. So there's still this like something about gathering together in a faith community, in a spiritual community. And the passage today that Marianne just read oftentimes um, will be read, at least the final couple of verses, will be read when someone says, why did we even have to come together on ch- for church? Why even come to a church on Sundays? I don't need to do that. And oftentimes the verse will be um, read in verse 25 that talks about, um, let's see, I don't know if we can throw it up in there. Uh, yeah, not giving up meeting together as some are in their habit of doing. So um, I've heard people say, like, why do you need to go to church? And then somebody, you know, and usually we think of like an older guy with a southern accent or something like, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And my interpretation of that is kind of like if you ask your parent, why do I need to do that? And you say, because I said so. It's like, why do you have to meet? Well, because the Bible said don't not meet. And so that's, which is really compelling, right? I don't know about you, but that really compels me to do things when someone says, like, why? When I ask why, and they say, because I said so. Um, And I think we miss out on something when we just go, well, it's because they said so, and there's not really a reason why. But I think in the passage, in the passage that Marianne read today, we actually get a really compelling reason, actually a really beautiful and powerful reason why we actually still gather together. The church has gathered together for for 2,000 years, uh, a little little less than 2,000 years together, usually on Sunday mornings to gather together in worship. And in this passage, we actually see why it's good to gather together. So let's take a look a little closer first at that verse 25 that was just up there. Let me read it here. Um, And if you have a Bible, by the way, if you carry a paper Bible, if you could to have that out, to follow along, if you have it on your phone, uh, that's a great way too. I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to a talk or engaging that way, it helps me stay engaged by kind of following along as well too. So um, you don't have to, but I would encourage you to. So verse 25 in Hebrews 10, uh, it says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Some versions say, let us not give up meeting together. And that word that's translated meeting together is from the root word that we get the word synagogue. Synagogue, which is a meeting place. And this, this word, though, that here in the Greek, um, what it actually is speaking of is a congregation. A congregation, which is different than an aggregation. Not aggravated, though I'm sure we aggravate each other, but an aggregation. And the difference here is this. And the language that's being used is that when we talk about an aggregation, I heard this illustration from another pastor, but they were talking about an aggregation of people is sort of like a bag of marbles. 
A bag of marbles. You think like a bag of marbles. Like they're sliding past each other. Like the marbles don't really want to stick to one another. They're just kind of in the same space, occupying the same space. But that's about it. Right? If you put them on the ground, they like roll everywhere else. We know this because we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So when Esther plays with marbles, our one-year-old cannot be around because we have no idea where they'll go. Because as soon as they have an opportunity, they will spread out. But this picture we see here, let us not stop meeting together. This word synagogue, this congregation, is more like a cluster of grapes. A cluster of grapes where they're, they're similar, just like the marbles are similar, but they're connected. They actually find the life from the same source. They don't, they're not smooth where they just run across each other, but there's actually, they're touching. There's like almost an enmeshment where they're happening. They're still individuals, but there's a unity there that's different than just a random bag of marble. Sort of like if you went to a concert at May Halls or, or Blossom or wherever, and maybe the thing that brings you together is you all like that band, or you go to a movie and, uh, you know, the thing that brings you together is you all want to see the final Bond movie, whatever it is. And there's something that unifies you together, but you kind of come together, and then as soon as it's over, you just leave, right? But this is something different, though, that happens in the invitation of us gathering together. That when we gather together on Sundays as a church community, as a body, and, and, and by the way, there's always historically in the church always been people who aren't quite sure what they believe, or maybe they don't believe uh, the Christian faith, but they still gather together, and it's still important. It's always been part of the church. So whether you're a Christian or not today, you're, we're so glad that you're here. We're welcome to be in this place. But when we gather together, even on Sundays, even though we sit in rows, the idea, the picture that we see here is that there should be a shoulder-to-shoulderness, right? And obviously, in the days of physical distancing, we were doing some more physical social distancing. Maybe that's not literal. But there's this connectedness that's supposed to be happening and occurring, that when we worship together, we sing together, we pray together, we read together, we grow together, we share together. There's this togetherness. And in this passage, we see um, that used in another way, too, in verses uh, 24 and 25, this language of one another. Again, I don't know if we have the passage up there, but um, this language of one another in verses 24 and 25, it says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then in 25, encouraging one another, one another. This language of mutuality, this language of that we're in it together. That when we gather on Sundays, it's not just someone from the front doing something, and then it's someone different doing something. Though, by the way, the reason that we have so many different people getting up and talking and leading, it would be much more efficient if I did the announcements and did communion, or Britain did the announcements and did communion. It would be much more smooth, right? More, less people coming up, less people getting up and reading things. But the reason we do that, because it's not just me. It's not just Britain. It's not just Dave. It's not just people that are on stage. But it's different voices, Diverse voices from different backgrounds, different experiences, sharing, leading, engaging with one another. That's why we do that. There's a mutuality of one anotherness. There's a shared commitment, a shared investment of why we're meeting, why we're gathering together. And so the invitation here in this passage is for our gatherings, big and small churches. I've been in big churches, I've been in small churches. I've been in small churches where it doesn't feel like there's that togetherness, and I've been in big churches where it does feel like there is. It's not about the size or the, or the shape of the church. It's about the intentionality, about the culture of community that wants to be formed. And I think here's the question as we continue this talk in the series today is, are you experiencing that when we gather here on Sundays? Like if this is your first time here, I guess you can reflect on the last 42 minutes. 
But has this been your experience? Is your experience of shoulder-to-shoulderness? Is it your experience of, of we're in this together, a mutuality, a one-another, a congregation? Or is it more in and out? We're here, and then the service is over, and we're out. And there's lots of reasons why. And that's not a shaming thing of saying it's your fault, or it's the quote-unquote church's fault, whoever the church is. It's all of us. But it's the question of going, is that my experience? And if not, as we're going through asking, well, why? Well, why? Why isn't that your experience? Why isn't that maybe our experience at times? And I think there's a lot of reasons that could be. But that type of community where we're in it together, where this one another mutuality, it's actually where we grow spiritually. John Wesley, who is the uh, founder of Methodism, um, he said that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. This idea that it can just be Jesus and me, the Bible doesn't know about that kind of faith. We in 21st century individualistic society, we know a lot about that. Right? We can find everything on our phone. Right? We can find everything just kind of isolated. But the Bible doesn't see faith that way. The Bible doesn't see following Jesus that way. It's always in community. And I think one of the central reasons we're going to talk about it, and we could really have a whole series on why the church is important. But one of the reasons that we gather together is because of the type of community that God has formed. We gather together because of the type of the community the church is meant to be. And we've talked about some of the elements of the gathered community in previous weeks, like I listed before, the things that we do when we gather together. But here in this book of Hebrews, we call like all the different things in the Bible the book of, but really they weren't books, they were letters. There were letters written by somebody. The book of Hebrews, we actually don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's, some, there's some ideas. Uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. What we do know is a letter. It was a letter. And so someone would have written this letter, and they would have written it to actually Jewish Christians. And it got sent out to, to different churches, maybe one church or multiple churches, but it would have got delivered. And when people were gathered like this, it would have been delivered, and someone would have come up, maybe the, the president, that's what they call the leaders of then, or the elders, um, or maybe it would have been the messenger who came, and they would have got up and read it. Maybe in whole, maybe in part. We would have got up and read it as it was gathered together. And it was just, we just read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again, because here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a group like this, but meeting in a house, a lot, a lot closer together. Right, cramped in, squished in together. Meeting like this, someone comes in, delivers this letter from someone, a leader in the Christian church, uh, in, the, in the first hundred years of the Christian church. And this is what is read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, not just you and you and you, but let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We profess some of that ideal, that, that, that essential hope through that song we sang, the creed. Some of these, the hold on to the hope we profess. Uh, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
See, this isn't written initially to people like you and I, maybe sitting in our home, you know, on our phone, or on a, maybe looking, reading our Bible, or praying, and you know, in our car, or on our fishing boat, or wherever, which are all great places to meet with God as well, too. But he's, this is written to someone who's actually already meeting together. It'd be like if, if I was saying, like, guys, let's not stop meeting together, as some people do. Guys, we have an invitation into God's presence, the one who made us the one who knows you more than you know yourself, we have this invitation to come in, all of us, into God's presence. It's not this individual thing that we read, and it is true. When you pray on your own, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we can enter in, you can enter into God's presence in, in solitude and in, in privacy in your own time as well too. But that's not the original context it was written in. That's not the original context it would have been read in. The primary emphasis of this passage is that we come together. And that doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. It can happen in our community groups. We had our first Saturday prayer yesterday morning. It happened then. It can happen at your workplace. when you, If you have a Bible study or a prayer group, it can happen in lots of different ways. But it's why we gather on Sundays. And it says that there's this invitation that their hearts have been cleansed. Like the things you're ashamed of, the things that you wish nobody knew or maybe no one does know, the things that weigh you down, the things that drive you to be better or to do better because you think if you do enough or, or get good enough or better enough that maybe you'll feel okay with yourself. All those things that you bring to relationship with God or relationship with others, he's saying are cleansed, are taken away, or wiped away, are removed because of Jesus. Now, some of this language is pretty foreign to us, right? This language of like, uh, we can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a living way through the curtain that is his body. Like, he's a high priest over the house of God. Like, maybe some of you have been around church or done some studying. Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. For others of us, like, this is kind of weird, right? Actually, Britton used a phrase I didn't know was a thing. He said last week that something was metal. Like, that's totally metal, which I had no idea what meant. Dave Galladay explained it to me yesterday or a couple days ago. Yeah, whatever, I kind of understand. But that's intense, man. Like this idea of entering in um, by the blood of Jesus, his body. And so here, let me give you a little bit of background. Because the first people who would have heard this would have known exactly what was being shared. Because they would have all been Jewish Christians. And here would have been their experience before they came to Christ, before they started following Jesus, the Messiah, is that worship in the Jewish faith wasn't as much about this mutuality. When they came um, to, the, to the temple where God's presence would dwell, it was once a year that the high priest, after all these rituals to cleanse himself, could enter into this place called the most holy place that was separated by this thick curtain, this thick veil that was there. Once a year, he could enter in. And with only with smoke, he had to like have smoke veiling his eyes just to enter into God's presence for a moment. For a few moments to, to uh, make a sacrifice for the sins of the people and his own sins to be forgiven. And so there's this thick separation between God and humanity. And here's the beautiful thing is that don't leave thinking, well, the Old Testament has, doesn't ever speak about God wanting to be with his people. That's not true. Actually, in the book of Exodus, there was this, this the tabernacle. It was this kind of portable tent that God would meet with Moses. And it was amidst the people. And there was always this desire that God had to meet with people. But people kept pushing him away. And so there's, there's this temple system that was put into place. But the beauty of the book of Hebrews 
And the beauty of what Jesus has done is he's saying, that's not it anymore. No more. No more once a year. No more special person who gets access and only him one time a year. But all of a sudden, the veil has been torn. Where it says, uh, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. When Jesus allowed his body to be broken, to be torn, to give his life, all of a sudden there's this new and living way. It's not a curtain anymore. It's not once a year. It's not a special person. It's that Jesus was it says, our high priest. He's our great priest over the house of God. So he was the great priest and he was also the sacrifice. And the curtain was torn. And then all of a sudden, everything has been changed. Instead of it being essentially a, a performance, a spiritual performance, but the people stood back and watched. And then once the high priest got into the holy place, they didn't see anything that happened. But they just kind of waited for things to be done for them. They waited for people to go into God's presence for them. But here, this is a brand new picture that we can come with confidence. We can enter in. We can do these things. And, and in our Meet Vineyard class, we have once a, once a month, we talk about some of the values of the church. And some of them, one of the ones that we use is that everyone gets to play, which is kind of a, a funny saying. But what it means is, is that everyone gets to be used by God. Everyone gets to be a priest in some way, serving people, leading people, influencing people. Everyone gets to do that. Everyone gets to be a part now. Again, that's why we have so many different people that come on stage and serve in different ways and and serve here in our local church. Because it's everybody all of a sudden. It's we, it's us. Instead of things being done for us every week, there's a mutuality of one another. That's why it's important that you're here when we gather. That's not shame. If you're not here, by the way, if I ever say, hey, we missed you last week, that is no part of me that's passive-aggressive and like, missed you last week. In other words, why weren't you here? So you don't need to respond where you were. If you want to, that's fine. But I legit mean like, we missed you last week and you're welcome to go, missed it too, and that's it. So no need for an explanation. But uh, you're welcome to, of course. But sometimes it's kind of funny as a pastor, as an aside, you get this like really long list of why you haven't been here for a month. And I'm like, that's great. I care, but I don't. I just want you to know that I missed you. Um, but that's why it is, though, important for us to gather. Because this isn't about what we do on stage, and so it doesn't matter if there's five or 50. It's about this community gathering together in the one anotherness. We're not trying to have an artificial high priesthood here. Where it's like, well, there's not a high priest, but there is a Briton, and there's a Matt, and there's a Gabby, and a Dave. And so those are the people who really do the work of the gathered church or the Tom. But we're all in it together. We're all in it together. No more separation. And the reason we can do that is because of the type of community that this forms. If we look back again, it talks about our hearts being cleansed. It talks about our guilt being cleansed. It talks about our sins being forgiven. And here's why that matters. Here's what that does. Is we don't have to ask the question. We don't have to live in insecurity anymore. That song we sang, I I am who you say I am. You know, that can feel weird maybe if you're like, why am I singing a song that says I am who you say I am? You know why? Because everything in our life tells us who we are. Your spouse, your family, where you work, how much money you make, how much money you don't make, your education, how big your house is, how small your house is, what you did yesterday, what you're going to do next week, all these things speak into who we are. And it can give us maybe confidence at times. It can lead us to the depths of insecurity. It can make us arrogant. It can make us ashamed. But you think about a community that all of a sudden has been formed by taking all that away. 
that all of a sudden when we gather, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter how you, what you said yesterday, how much money you made, what you accomplished in your life. That the scripture isn't written and doesn't say, hey, we can enter with confidence because of Jesus. You need more of Jesus. You need less. You know, like, it's like we all come in for the same reason, the same way, by this free gift of grace. And so if we come in with arrogance, that's not the gospel. That's not the heart of God. And if you come in with self-deprecation or shame, guess what? That's not the gospel, and that's not the kingdom of God, the heart of God either. One is not more spiritual. Coming in and saying, I'm wretched, or coming in and saying, I'm the best ever, like neither is the gospel. But we say we're loved children in desperate need of forgiveness, and we live in that place. And when we do that, all of a sudden our relationships become different. And that's a picture of as we gather, we want those relationships to be different. We want to see a difference happen where people aren't just a means to an end, right? And, and of course, there are times when people are means to an end, like if we're in sales, we're like, I just need you for a sales number, or if we're, um, you know, have a project, we need somebody to help us accomplish it. But sometimes people are means to an end by, hey, if they like me, then I'm okay. Or I need them to think I'm all right, or I need them to approve of me, or I need them to help me make this step or that step. I need a grouping of people that say I'm okay. Whatever it is, we can all of a sudden let go of that. And people don't have to be a means to an end. We can actually care about people because we care about them. We can actually serve other people because we just want to give away our time. We just want to give away our finances. We just want to give away our talents because we want to, because we want to serve. And can you think, as that begins to form a community that gathers together regularly, the change that can happen in our own lives, the change that can happen in our hearts? And if we invite someone in, and maybe this is you, and you're not quite sure what you believe about Jesus, or someone comes in who doesn't know what they think about the Christian faith, and they can see a community that loves like that, that does these one another's, that shares that kind of relationship, that to me is attractive. That to me would say there might be something to this Jesus guy. There might be something to it. I don't know all the things, but I know that they love people and they love each other in this weird way that's like, well, I don't really see in other places. But that's our heart. That's our desire. That's the type of community we want to be. So in this passage, this invitation is to form a new kind of community that's been invited to draw near to God together as we sing, as we worship, as we pray, as we read Scripture we begin to see one another differently, and we can't do that in isolation. But in these final verses, we see a little bit of a glimpse of what the author of Hebrews wants us to, how, some ways we can live it out. In verses 24 to 25, I'll read them again. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we see four actions, actually, in these verses. It tells us to consider how we might spur. So consider. We're supposed to spur one another on. We're supposed to actually do love and good deeds, so act. And then we're supposed to encourage one another. And what's interesting, I think, this word consider, what it means is you're not just shooting from the hip. I've talked about this before, but it says consider how you can spur one another on. So that means when someone's talking to you, let's say before service, after service, you're praying for someone, you're in a community group, you're actually like listening to them, right? I know none of us who are in relationships ever have the other person sharing something with them. You're not really listening. You're mostly just thinking about how to solve their problem. None of us do that, I'm sure. But I 
might sometimes. But when someone is sharing with you, someone that you're in community with, you're actually sitting there and going, how, after, as they're talking, how can, I, how can I come alongside of them? Maybe even after this week, maybe you have a conversation today and through this week, it makes you go, hey, how can I come alongside of Dave or Cynthia? She was sharing this thing she was struggling with. What can I do to encourage her? What can I do to help her? So there's this element of our community where we consider, we actually think about other people, right? That's part of the reason, the practical reasons why we gather is because if we don't, we don't really think about each other, right? Like, you know, like out of sight, out of mind, that's a real in relationships, right? Out of sight, out of mind. We actually consider. But then also we see these words spur and encourage. And they're actually on the kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. This idea of spurring, the reason that it's used is because literally think about what happens when an animal is spurred being ridden. Like you're agitating it to get it going. Like you're challenging it. You know, there's an uncomfort, there's a discomfort that happens. And then you have the word encourage on the other hand. That's like saying, here's what you're doing great. Here's what you're doing well. Keep doing it. I believe in you. I see you. And it's saying both of those things need to be in play in a community. So when we gather together on Sundays, when we gather together in our groups, there should be a challenging and an encouraging. Some of us are really good at one or the other. Most of us are not good at doing both, right? Some of us are really good at going, hey, here's how you can grow. But we never really remember to think about, here's what you're doing well. And then vice versa, some of us, like, we can encourage you all day long, but ask that person to say, hey, maybe you should push back a little bit. You should challenge them. Hey, this maybe isn't a healthy area. Like, I could never do that. That's so awkward, right? Some of us each have strengths. We need both of those in our community, this mutuality happening. And it's to spur one another, one another on to love and good deeds. Here's the thing. When we gather together, on Sundays, in our community groups, it should change us. It should motivate us to act and live in a different way. It should change us. It should encourage us to actually love differently, to serve differently, to love in good deeds. So when we gather, if our gatherings don't motivate us to give of our time to each other, if it doesn't motivate us to give of our talents to each other, if it doesn't motivate us to give of our money, to one another, to the local church, to organizations who make a difference in the world, if it doesn't motivate us to do those things, then there's something missing in our community when we gather. And so some of these things, I don't know if you've been in, uh, you know, t- talk about how do you get a vision statement or mission statement or values, you have these things called aspirational values, right? You can't write a whole mission or vision statement just based on aspirational values, because like, here's what we want to be, but we don't do any of them. Right? And so, but as a, as a newer church, as a newer community, these are values that we're trying to step into, and they're also aspirational. They're things that we want to live into. We want to embody these kind of things in our relationships. It's to be the shape of when we gather. So often when we gather, we use language of receiving, right? Like, I just came to receive, or sometimes if we're in a place that we're not really loving, we're saying, like, I'm not being fed. It's all kind of about, like, taking things in. But when we gather, and on Sundays, it's not just Sundays are the time we receive and other times we give away. There's a mutuality in our gathering that should change us. So as I was thinking about when we gather on Sundays, because I kind of hit three different elements this morning. I hit, we talked about in this passage that our gatherings should have a closeness and shared life together. There should be an invitation to draw near to God together. Or to consider, spur, encourage, and serve one another. And I was thinking about, on Sundays, is there anything that we do that kind of all comes together? And 
here's my experience, um, at least in, this is an aspirational value for this church, but um, we're a vineyard church, we're part of a, a movement, a denomination of vineyard churches, and in the vineyard, one of the things that we always create space for in our gatherings, whether in community groups or whether on Sunday mornings, is we always want to create space to pray for each other to pray for one another, something we call ministry time. So time where we get to pray for one another, we get to come alongside of one another and say, how are you? What's going on in life? What, where could you use God to, to, to do something, to encourage you, maybe to heal something? Where do you need direction, wisdom, guidance? Where do you need God to do something in your life? So we pray for each other, and then we, we ask the question, and we take time to stop, and we don't just dive into, well, thanks for the sharing the needs, and I'm going to pray my best thoughts for you now. So someone says, hey, I need to like buy, you know, thinking about should I buy a house or not. We just start praying, God, would you give them wisdom on how, uh, buying a house? But we stop, and we go, God, is there a way that you want me to pray? And we welcome God's presence to come. We already know that he's here. I used this analogy yesterday in our coffee and prayer, but when we talk about welcoming God's presence, he's obviously already here, Right? God is everywhere, but it's just like someone walking into your house. You can treat them really well where they know you want them to be there, or someone can be in your house, and it's pretty clear that you're like, you're here. I'm not really paying much attention to you. This idea when we say, God, we welcome your presence, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, is this idea of saying, God, we want you here. We want you here. We're glad that you're here, God. And so when we pray for each other up front, we're going to have space to pray for each other actually out here as well, too, but... When we say, God, we welcome you, God, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We're saying, we want you here, God. We want you to speak. We want you to heal bodies. We want you to heal emotions. We want you to set people free. We want you to encourage people, to comfort people. We want you to do it. And so we create space. So in prayer ministry, when we do that, that's why we create space each and every week. So let me share a story, then we're going to take time to pray. So, um... In 2010, I moved to, to Columbus. I, was, I grew up in Worcester, which is about 50 minutes south of here or so, depending on how fast you drive. And I moved to Columbus, and I was part of a vineyard church down there. It's a huge church, 8,000 people. I knew one person. I knew one person. And I went to, they have, they have a couple different campuses. I went to the big one. And uh, I was sitting there, and, and at the end of church services, they would have what we do. They would say, hey, we have people up here that would love to pray for you. Um, and in this church, they've been around for 30-some years, and so there's a culture built where if you want someone to pray for you, just come up forward. It's not like a, because your life is falling apart. It's not because you're doing the best. It's just because you're like, I would love for someone to pray for me. I'd love to be encouraged. I'd love for some guidance. I'd love for God to meet me in this area of my life. And so early on, I was like, this is kind of cool. I'd always been a leader in the churches that I'd been a part of. And I was like, I'm going to go up and, and have people pray for me. Because sometimes when you lead things, you don't always have people pray for you. You're always praying for other people. And I would go forward. And I remember week after week, I'd have different people around my age. I was 30, I was 29 at the time. And so other people in their, around their 20s would come up and pray for me. And the feeling of being seen, I, don't, I was trying to think like, I need a powerful story of what someone prayed for me that like impacted me for ongoing. But actually in those moments, I couldn't think of what people prayed for me about. But what I do remember is that out of that, it was enough that people cared for me. I was able to share a little bit about what I was going on in my life. They prayed for me. They welcomed God's presence to come. I was encouraged. And then oftentimes we'd go grab lunch afterwards. Or they'd invite me into their community group. Or we became friends. One of those guys, the second week I was there, he ended up being a groomsman in my wedding. But these spaces that we create to pray for one another, 
It's where we go shoulder to shoulder. It's where we enter into God's presence together. We say, God, would you meet my friend? You know, so if I'm praying with Cindy, it's would you meet my friend Cindy right now as we're standing? Would you come and I pray whatever way I feel maybe God is leading me to pray. Sometimes it's really clear. Sometimes it's not. And then I want to encourage her. Come alongside. And so that's why we do prayer ministry at the end. It's what we do in our community groups. So would you guys stand? We're going to do a, um, a final song. But here's what I want to do this morning. Um, we're, we're sermons over a little bit earlier, intention, intentionally. Um, here's what I'd like to do. If you have uh, prayed for people in the past, I'd love to encourage you to come up. Um, so that means you won't. Um, if anybody else and others come up, we'd love for you right now even to pray for people. Um, so if you're someone who feels comfortable praying for people, would you come up? We'd love to pray for you. But if you're not someone who would say, um, I would love to receive prayer from somebody, you're like, man, coming up front, that feels weird, it feels awkward, um, whatever like that, here's what I would encourage you to do. Would you find somebody nearby with you? Um, preferably someone that not just, if you're, if you're married or you're dating, preferably not just with someone who's your spouse. I'm not going to monitor this. I'm going to sit down afterwards. So you're, I'm not going to know if you're doing what I asked you to do or not. Um, but would you, and I'm going to, and there's actually prompts on the screen. Here's what I encourage you to do. If you're not up here getting prayer, that you'd introduce yourself. You say, how can I pray for you? And would you ask God to just speak a single word to you to bless them? So here's what I would do if I was, let's say I was sitting um, next to Susie, and I say, hey, I'm Matt, and she would say, I'm Susie. I'd say, Susie, how can I pray for you? She would share. And so before just saying, God, would you bless Susie, help her in this area, I would just get quiet and say, God, is there, some, is there a way that you don't mean encourage Susie? So I just get quiet and listen, see if there's a word, a phrase that maybe God would put on my heart to pray for Susie. Now, you don't need to wait for 10 minutes and go, I didn't get anything, so I guess I won't pray. Just wait quietly and say, God, is there some way you want me to pray? And if there's an impression that you get on your heart, you kind of sense, pray that thing. And if not, you can pray like whatever they had talked about in that area too. And then at the end, well, so you take a risk and you pray what you sense God speak. And at the end, you just say, did you, that's a typo, I probably sent it wrong to Kim. Did you sense anything while we were praying? So as, as you were praying for the person or getting prayer, did it speak to you in some way that was impactful? Did you maybe feel something while you were getting prayer? And just responding back. So this morning, I know it's different. And again, it's all about your comfort level. I get it. But if the only thing that keeps you from doing it is you're nervous or a little reserved, step out of that comfort zone. That would be my encouragement. If it's other reasons, I get it. Um, but if it's just like, ah, that feels weird or awkward, press past the awkward. We do awkward here. Um, so if you come up and get prayer, we'd love to pray for you. If not, would you find some people around while they, the band plays a final song? We'd love to pray together. <laughs>